I'm Anna Tonk. Welcome to How to Be Human, a podcast that explores the common and often confusing themes of humanness. I almost busted into Adele. Hello. But I'm not going to do that because I can't pull off an Adele impersonation. Apologies that I don't sound amazing. I've got a little bit of a cold, but guess what? Production calendars don't give a fuck about that. So I'm recording today, doing a little bit of an intro. I am thrilled. Liz is one of my favorite people in the world. And I understand if you've been listening to this podcast, you know I'm prone to a bit of hyperbole, but I really mean it. I don't even know Liz that well, but I've been taking classes with her for a couple years and I've never attended a class with her where she didn't explode my brain with some kernel of deep wisdom. And she is an all around really wonderful person. So who am I talking about? I am talking about Liz Amelioni. I can't really say her last name. For whatever reason, me and G's in Italian just don't mix. You might know her as Sister Spencer, and she is an herbalist, educator, and storyteller. She is incredible. She's an active, you know, practice. She works with clients one-on-one with, you know, in collaboration with plants. And I love this from her website. Liz belongs to a lineage of spinsters, apple romancers, and herb cunning folk. She is an animist who is in cahoots with birch trees and serpentine saints. Some of her favorite divination tools are beeswax, murky waters, and chickens. She sings to flowers, grows a lot of garlic, and makes regular offerings to Venus. She is fiercely devoted to enchantment in all realms. I think Liz helped me start incorporating and understanding the value of some of those things in my life. So I am thrilled for you to get to hear her talk about it today in episode 58, Magic Herbs and Sister Spencer. Enjoy. Does it happen to you that people forget that your name is Liz? Because I call, like, so often I feel like, I'm like, oh my God, I refer everyone to you and be like, you have to go to this class, Sister Spencer Liz, or I'll be like, Liz, Sister Spencer. Like, I never, I forget you have a real name and I forget you have a last name. If they forgot my name, they don't make it known to me that that. (laughs) That's a common experience, (laughs) but it makes sense. Like, I feel like I just know everyone by their Instagram name, you know? Yes. Similar. And I feel like sister Spencer is like such a, if I had come up with it to be my, you know, my brand or my umbrella that all my magic fell under, like, yeah, I would really use it all the time too. You know, I wouldn't be so mad if people like knew me as that. I'd be like, that's what's up. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And it's with like a badass. last name like mine, it just, it doesn't have, you don't stumble over Sister Spinster like people stumble over Miliarelli. So, well, it's funny because when I was in Italy, I thought about you a lot. I mean, you're one of those people, I think I met you in like 2016, 2017. And, I took a class at um, Help Yourself mm-hmm. in Greenpoint, mm-hmm. RIP. It was a great space. And I was like, 
she's magic. And I thought you were also a time traveler. I was like, she's so young, but she's so wise. How can this be? Like she, I'm, I'm calling shenanigans. This is a time traveler. I'm not going to blow up her secret. And when I was in Italy, I thought about you a lot for a lot of different reasons. One, the way everybody was so much more connected to the earth and nature and like seeing people literally on the side of the highway, you know, picking fennel pollen in capers made me, I was like, I feel like that's something Liz would do. And I couldn't say the G's. <laughs> so <laughs> in terms of your last name, it was so funny. Like I was um, in this town, like Jordan Yanyo and I see, I can't say it right. And my friend Simona was like kept repeating for, and I was like, my, I just can't do it. Like I have to almost like fake it in, in a way. But I did, you know, like I told you last time I spoke to you that I was starting rumors about like <laughs> that. It was, I was like, Oh, that's Liz's family. And I'm glad it, it, it was, but <laughs> your connection to plants, I feel like let's start maybe in herbalism has that just been your whole life? How did that begin? I mean, I find it interesting. You, it, you know, it seems like farming's in your lineage. Lineage is hugely an important thing to you. Did plants start there or did, cause it's like herbalism is different than farming to me, but this connection to the earth and seeing like the magic in growing things, I feel like has to be not in your DNA necessarily, but it's like, did you get a front row seat growing up? Like, is that something you've always known? I think it is in my DNA, but I did not have a front row seat to it growing up. Mm. I was born and raised in Washington Heights. <laughs> where oh, really? There's no, <laughs> I mean, at least <laughs> in the 90s, there was no, like, not a lot of plants. Yeah. The cloisters, that's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> which was cool. And I honestly feel yeah. like the cloisters ha like loom large in my childhood imagination of like magic. But anyways, I was very much a city kid. And growing up, I didn't really have a lot of big plant influence, except for the fact that every summer my family went to Maine, or we would spend time in upstate New York at my extended family's farm and would be in the apple orchards, which always was like a really big impact for me. I loved the apple orchards. But I, when I really like got into herbalism, I think I was 18 and had sort of been, I don't, yeah, I just, I was, I got sick and it was like coming back mm. into alignment with the plants or kind of like remembering that the plants were out there because I don't think it ever felt like anything new to me when I did reconnect mm. with the plants, but I definitely, <laughs> it felt like there was a deep remembering. And I think that for me, since I was a kid, I always was really into mythology and folklore and fairy tales and within those stories there's so much plant magic and so I think I like kind of always believed in it but I don't yeah. think I really embodied like the living of that until I was a teenager until I was almost 20. Yeah you gave me a line in that class the help yourself BK that like kind of changed my life in that moment of saying disconnection from the body is disconnection from the earth. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, because staying in my body is like a constant thing for me. And 
it made me think a lot about that and realize like how disconnected at that moment in my life I was from the earth that, you know, like I wasn't even selecting my own food, you know, like I was ordering fresh direct, like I wasn't, you know, prioritizing any time in nature. I wasn't really taking any herbs. And I was like, wow, like what if I literally just prioritized more time with nature, like whatever that means, you know, and I started like going to the farmer's market more and just being like, select your own vegetables. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like, um, I think something that, you know, I feel like your work has been really supportive to me is like, you don't have to set fire to your life. You can do these little things. And you also gave me my favorite definition of magic, which I hope I properly credit you every time because I've been saying this shit since you said it, you know, but you were like, I define magic as the ability to shift your consciousness. And I was like, Ooh, what a like beautiful, succinct little, you know, like I'm going to put that in my back pocket because it's like, why try to improve? That's perfect. I think of you as being the dreamiest of dream boats. Like your, your life, like as someone looking at it is very romantic. You seem to romanticize a lot of things and have the magic. And I think like, you know, being more familiar with you and working with you, you do a formula for me every year. It helped me get past some of my self-consciousness. I feel, I think, romanticizing my life and allowing more magic. And like when I was in Italy this morning or this summer, it felt really good to like talk to the plants and like greet the flowers and stuff. And I think a few years ago, I would have been like, really hard on myself about that, about like, oh, that's make-believe or that's this or whatever. And I'm like, what is life except for one long make-believe? Like, I mean, for, for all this. And I really appreciate how much I think you incorporate the value of magic and romance into your day-to-day -day life. Does it help you with the monotony of life? Because <laughs> I feel like you're really good at embracing and making ritual out of, you know, tending to your fire, like tending to your land, those sort of things that I struggle with. Like, has it helped you by imbuing that with magic and romance? Or do you not feel like you do that at all? Are you like, no, I just do my chores. Like, I mean, you're like, you're just giving me too much credit based on Instagram or something. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think you're giving me a lot of credit, but I, <laughs> well, first of all, that definition of magic of like shifting your consciousness at will. I first read that in a Starhawk book a long time ago. Mm. And I think like the way that I now think about it, which is sort of the same, but maybe in terms of thinking about my action, I think about it in terms of magic being how I am in relationship with the world around me. And mm. part of part of being in relationship with the world around me is doing my chores. And, <laughs> and if I can make those things feel like they are imbued or infused with intention, then that's a really beautiful thing. I definitely like, no, not this morning, I was scrubbing out my tub and like, not having a good time, you know, and it, like, I don't think there, there's so much in my life that is really mundane. And like, just like anyone else's, I hate paying my taxes, you know, like bookkeeping makes me feel like I'm gonna have a panic attack, like all of these <laughs> things. I have a pile of dishes in my sink right now that need to be attended to. And I 
am not really thinking about them magically and that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I, I do feel like there are certain ways in which it's very easy for me to slip into this mindset of the entire world being alive, even that which is seemingly inanimate. And so I, I can really, I feel like I have a, it's easy for me to like see my hearth space as alive and be in relationship with it in this way that feels like a real reciprocity with my hearth. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, I don't think I'm really like that all the time, but it definitely does help me with like the mundane parts of life, even though I might have to like pep talk myself into that thinking sometimes. But I think like life is also supposed to be mundane at times. And it's like too, it can be really exhausting to be like, it's all magic all the time. Like that doesn't really hold up for me. Well, yes, I agree. Like when somebody is romanticizing or making magic, like, I don't know. I feel like I saw something on Instagram recently where someone was like really doing that about like their baby having a diaper blowout on a flight. And I was like, girl, like I said, like, I feel for you. I empathize. That would be a fucking nightmare. But like trying to bright side this and be like the magic. I was like, no, <laughs> I, I think we can go a bit too crazy. And I, I agree with you. Like, I think a lot of life is mundane and, and monotonous and, I think that we can cause a lot of tension trying to make it something other than that, you know? Do you think, though, that your valuing of magic, too, also helps you really stay connected to yourself in the sense of, like, what you really desire, like, what you're really... I think sometimes when you're... If you can kind of have a grip on, like, what should be sort of mundane and what can be sort of elevated, I think it... it For me, when I'm in that space it helps me just more clearly hear myself when I'm like, Ooh, I, I'm, I feel like I'm going towards this or I'm really longing for this or I need less of this or something. It, it opens something up for me. Do you, does it do that for you? Absolutely. And I think to like take that even further, I feel like I'm (laughs) being in relationship with magic or having that sort of this inner anchor of knowing and really believing that I am in kinship with the world, right? Like that, I feel like I have, um, it's easy for me to also listen to when the world is responding to me. And so I think Mm. like, it's not only just about my desire and like putting it out there and, you know, following what feels right, but then seeing how the world then responds to that longing and like, it's sort of like, where am I being invited to go and really being able to yeah. listen to that and not just, not just like this, like me, 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 I want this, but, yeah. really, but just sort of this idea of like this whole collaborative universe might be inviting me into something. And so what is it? And through like deep listening and building relationship, how do I then follow where I am being invited to? What What is it that I'm being called to collaborate with or step into? It does feel like I'm able to connect with my personal desire, but I feel like even more so, it feels like what is the world calling me to do? And that it almost like grounds it outside of myself a little bit, which 
is really helpful <laughs> for me to kind of to get out of my own, yeah. like personal will a little bit. Yeah, it's tricky. It's like we've got to be clear or I mean, ideally, we're being clear about ourselves so that we can show up clearly, I think, in the in the world. But like nothing does exist in a vacuum. So I wonder, like, because you are so connected to nature, like if you're good at honoring timelines and cycles and things like that, because I think something for me with tarot, which I know you always say the fancy way of tarot. <laughs> I always remember you taroters because uh, I think you're fancy. It's interesting to me how often the tension we're creating in our life is like fighting that is fighting like our energy's not supported there right now for for whatever reason. Like, I don't know that we always get to know what it is, you know, but often somebody will come to me. This happens a lot with women who will they'll come to me with like really little kids and be like, I want to launch my business. And I'm like, girl, you've got a toddler and a baby. Like, is this the time? And and I can feel, and it's such a real feeling to want to be able, I guess, to control or or to just do or create or whatever when it's just not the time. And my grandfather was a businessman, but he also was a farmer. And it was fascinating to me how farming really influenced his business outlook of just sort of like, you know, like sometimes you leave things alone, like you leave certain fields fallow so that they can like, you know, the soil can become nutrient dense again and like all these different things and how you rotate, you know, different crops and all this stuff. But it seemed to to help him somewhat in not getting frustrated or shut down or something because, he seemed to have this larger understanding of just like the cyclical nature of life or, you know, something like that. And for me, when I'm frustrated or I'm like, oh, I'm really trying to push this or I'm really like exerting, I always go to nature. I always think about nature and just like, you know, whether it's this, the things we see on Instagram of like, you know, like a flower doesn't bloom all the time or whatever, <laughs> like those sort of things are like, or I think a lot about the moon or stuff like that that really helps me is that has that helped you like having an understanding I feel like something about people who really seem to like get plants and stuff seem to also have this different understanding of time mm -hmm. you know and and maybe energy I don't know hmm. yeah it's definitely something that I feel like I'm always in sort of a living inquiry with is this question of time and like what is my relationship to it and <laughs> what does that look like because you know it's we live under the linear time of capitalism in in the west but then also we live under the solar calendar of the gregorian calendar but also yeah there's so many other calendars that i live my life by and that has become really more attuned over the past few years for me, yeah, just with the plants, like in March, when the nettles start coming up, I, I'm i like, oh, I'm in the nettle month. This is nettle month for mm -hmm. like my entire, <laughs> a lot of my life, not entire life, but a lot of my time and a lot of my energy goes to harvesting nettles, drying the nettles, making the nettle tea, making all the nettle foods. And I'm like, <laughs> this is the season of the nettle harvest. And then you know, and then I move to the linden time and then I move to roses. And then, and so for me, like, I feel like I 
sort of have this inner calendar of being in relationship with different plants at different times of the year and really like sinking into this devotional kind of rhythm with them um, and paying attention to them and harvesting and so on and so forth. But in regards to, but then it's like in that, I then have a business that I'm, that I'm running and, and things that I have to do. And it's like, well, I still have to abide by the tax calendar and by, you know, these other, these other institutional structures of time. And so for me, I think being in relationship with these like natural, natural to me calendars and in relationship to the plants or even just like the seasonal ones. Like in winter, Mm -hmm. I, I make a really strong intention of like spending usually at least an hour or two every morning. I don't have kids to like sit next to my fire and read. Like that's how I start most of my days in the winter. And it's really important for me to like honor that creating spaciousness and slowness. Yeah. But I'm definitely not doing that in the summer, like cause that's when I'm <laughs> out and about. And so it yeah. feels like just even following that seasonal rhythm for me sort of informs my day to day. But it doesn't yeah. always look like that. Like I can't do that every day, but I do sort of sure. try to infuse my day with like some of that time to honor like what is here, what's happening now, whether it be certain plants that are in bloom or like the energetics of the season or something. I think that that's like part of why I really resonated with your work is you gave this sort of model of creating a bit like what your personal calendar is, Mm -hmm. you know, and like ways to do that. Like for me, it's, it's, it isn't always, I think it is a bit more seasonal than it is like plant-based, you know? Mm -hmm. And for anyone who's like interested in like with what Liz is talking about, definitely sign up for her newsletter because she sends these beautiful missives and there's always a plant. And so like, if you want like a place to start with some of these things, like I can absolutely give Liz the credit as she was someone who like definitely started and sparked a lot of this for me, like first was like my acupuncturist and, you know, sort of starting to understand a bit like, energy and like herbs. Like, I mean, she got me on herbs and it completely changed my allergies and and my, my cycle. And I was like, whoa, this is cool, you know? And then I felt like I, you helped me like continue that. And I love your encyclopedic knowledge of myths and folklore and the plants. Like, I cannot hear about yarrow and not think of you and think of Achilles being dipped in it to protect and the Achilles, the heel being missed. I think I learned later, maybe in your apple class, which everybody should take next fall. Like you've really studied all of this. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by your knowledge of mythology and folklore. Like, have you just been reading them since you were a teeny tiny little babe and then you just kept going? Cause I can't, I mean, I know you don't technically know everything, but I feel like, you know, everything like it's just really impressive to me, like your knowledge and your knowledge, not just of plants and their properties and their energetic properties and things like this, but like this whole other sort of of like what their, historical or like uh, creative depiction has been as well, which I mean, I think 
it's easy to forget that like folklore and mythology was often a way like people were literally telling the stories of the time and telling us what was going on that it's not just like, you know, people were doing creative writing or whatever, but you know, they were a way of communicating and things like that. Was there always an emphasis like in your life, in your family, like on ancestry, on these stories, or did you connect dots of like you were interested as a kid and then just kept going? Hmm. I was really encouraged from a young age to read a lot stories like fairy tales and wonder tales and myth was definitely something that I feel like I always reached for as a kid and would have my parents read to me. And um, I have this like one memory of, I think it's in the, (laughs) you know, the, the book of like Greek mythology, that's the Dolaires. It's yellow and it has these like, yes. it's just an iconic childhood yes. mythology book. I think I literally just saw it in my mom's house this like over Christmas. Like, yeah, yeah I know around. exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> but I remember someone, I don't know which adult in my life that it was at the time, but we were, we sat down and they were reading me the story of, Persephone and Demeter and there's a map of Sicily because that's where that story takes place and I remember like looking at it and just having this understanding of like oh these stories are from this land that there that there are certain stories that like live in the land and or maybe all stories come from the land. And I just started to like really think about that from a young age. And I think that that's something that like is a thread that I've always followed that these folk tales and these stories and really this like knowledge of plants really comes from being in relationship with the earth and then listening, having people, ancestors, um, listen to the land to then receive these stories from from the land. And I think that that's just sort of something that I've always been fascinated by is just this idea that there are these like living stories in under rocks in certain places. And I have always sort of, I don't think that like my, I wasn't raised with a lot of ancestor reverence that sort of came mm. later for me, but I definitely like was really encouraged as a kid to read a lot. And I spent a ton of time just reading mythology and folklore and I have never stopped. And, you know, I'm 33 now and basically <laughs> like it's the main thing that I still read to this day. And I, really? I now like find, I seek out communities of people that are also doing that work and are telling those stories. So I feel like I've really immersed myself in that world at this point. Yeah. I felt like when I did Sap Rising, which again, everyone should take with you. And I have to say, Liz isn't slutty. Like, you know, you you cap classes and things like that. So <laughs> if you're interested in taking um, a workshop or you see them, you should snap it up because 
you're mindful in that regard. But Sap Rising, like I thought I was a super fan of yours. And then in Sap Rising, I was like, oh my God, there's a whole other category of Liz fandom. And it was really interesting. And I felt like all of us kind of had the same question of like, how can we be you? <laughs> like in various ways, because I think like there's so much magic to the way that you have. I think that's something that like all of us were struggling to understand is how much you have sought out this information mm -hmm. that like it's not just like your parents told you all these stories or it's not just like your grandparents or whatever that it's like you've really gone and done the work and been like okay I know this about myself I know I'm Italian and I'm Polish I, be I believe you know and then you've gone and I was really surprised and I was telling you during Sap Rising that like I would terrorize one of my dear friends Mags Magdalena who's Polish and I would be like I am so mad at you you didn't tell me about these traditions you know um because i think italians we all know there's a lot of myth i think italians and greeks we know there's a lot of mythology we know there's a lot of folklore and stories like i think certain cultures we really know that maybe even germans in terms of like the you know brothers Grimm and things like that I had no idea that our dear friends, the Polskas, had all these beautiful traditions, the wishing well. I mean, I love that you include like the photograph of your grandparent, like, and that is so, I think it's like so refreshing to me that you've like gone back and you like look at all these things with your family and stuff. And it's not just through the lens of like trauma, you know, or like where did things go wrong or something like that. But it's this beautiful celebration. And I think sometimes like, especially in the US, we're so hungry for tradition, for culture, for, you know, um, growing up, I used to hang out with lots of friends who were like Italian, Latinx and, and Jewish, I think, because I loved the ritual and the culture. And there was something fascinating to me about like sort of everybody agreeing to participate in these things and stuff. And like when I was talking to my neighbor Mags about some of this stuff, she's like, oh, yeah, I remember when we used to go and throw uh, the doll into or the I guess the effigy and into into the river and stuff. And I was like, would you sneak a peek? And she's like, every time, you know? And, <laughs> and I was like, I, we don't really have that in the States. Like, you know, we, we have, I guess, like holidays and a couple things, but it's like the 4th of July doesn't feel the same or isn't as interesting to me as a ceremony to ce celebrate spring arriving. Like, I can understand how deeply like seductive that is to like go investigating. And I just think it's, really cool that you did but like to anyone who wanted to start do you think like I thought it was really interesting in the class too the distinctions you were making of like you know if you maybe don't know your ancestry or like just being from somewhere doesn't connect you to that land like also find out what are the rituals of the land that you're on and stuff like I live in Manhattan. So even though I know some of my ancestry and it was interesting for me because I come from um, I'm Dutch and on my father's side and finding out like this whole carnival, you know, um, that they do that I had no idea about. But I also made sure when I was making like my corn granny and things like that for surprising that like I did it in meat packing, which also cracked me up, like <laughs> foraging my plant material and things like that. And sometimes I feel like when I'm doing stuff like this, people can kind of be critical or, or sort of like it's make believe or whatever. But like, 
it's really powerful. Like it really helped me feel a sense and cultivate a sense of like belonging. And has this helped you realize like, yes, you belong to these other things or yes, you can like, but I'm like, what is my question? But it's like, it helped me realize like, no matter where we are, or what we are or whatever, like we can belong to somewhere. We can belong to the land. We can belong to ourselves or, or something like that. And I didn't, I didn't see that coming. I thought I was just going to like learn folklore and like do some cool stuff, you know? And I didn't, it's like, I find that with your work, you have this way of really like sneaking in the profound, you know, you, you get us with the, the, the stories and, you know, and in any class you take with Liz, like she'll, she'll read something to you. And, you know, I loved getting settled in like a little kid to be like, I'm going to listen to the story and everything, but you're sneaking in these like profound, you know, things of that are really worth inquiry of like belonging and where, what does create belonging and, you know, ancestry. Like I, I know in a lot of classes about spells and things like that, like, Sometimes people are like adopted and are like, I don't really know, you know, and, and all this stuff. And in the States, I think we make it really complicated because like we don't belong from this land, you know, like we're new to it. But I just, I don't know. I'm always so grateful to you for offering all the folklore and mythology. But like, it does crack me up that there's always like in every class, I feel like we, we, we all ask in like five different ways of like, how do we do this? How do we learn this? Where do you suggest anyone starts if they want to connect maybe with folklore or connect with mythology and learn about themselves in the process? That's a great question. No matter how many times it's asked. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I usually tell people like, you know, it's great to start with the places where you might think that your people are from, if you don't already know. And I really encourage people to move away from the idea of nation state, which is like also tricky for American yes. to kind of ground into like the actual physical land rather than this national identity. But I think that that's really important just because like even looking at Poland, you know, Poland wasn't on the map for 150 years. Like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so th these nation states change. And what's really important is how people were in relationship to that specific place. And so I really encourage folks to look at different like food traditions or yeah, different folk tales and stories that are from those specific regions. So yeah, if you like, are from if you know your people are from southern Poland or something, then I would say like look at the Tatra Mountains and look at the folk tales that are coming out of those mountains and the different food traditions, so on and so forth. I mean, I think that there's something really important about following the thread of what it was that excited us as kids, mm -hmm. like in regards to story or the kinds of stories that we were drawn to. I think that those stories were probably speaking to some soul part of ourselves where we really saw an, an understanding of the world that resonated with us in some way. And I feel like that speaks to that sense of belonging if that's like what we're after, which maybe it yeah. is and maybe it isn't. But I think that following those threads 
are really important. And yeah, a lot of it is like a lot of nose to the books kind of work. I mean, I Mm -hmm. feel like, you know, a lot of folks just want to be told like, oh, this was the magic of your ancestors. (laughs) And like, that that doesn't exist. You have to really be in relationship with it in a lot of ways. It's like, I go through a phase like twice a year of where I get really into watching stuff about like Vikings and stuff. And I think back to ye olden times and just think, how fascinating, like when you didn't know anything, like when there weren't, you know, like there beyond just, there was no internet or, or whatever. And I think of like these people, the, like how much like bravery our ancestors had in a lot of ways to just like keep going, you know? And I think of like, yes, they were, they were doing bad things, the Vikings when they went to like England and so forth. But I also think the bravery it took to get into a boat with no motor and, and sail from Norway to England is like unbelievable. Like it's just in using a piece of selenite to like spot the sun. Like it's just, it's, it's just, it is so bonkers to me when I think about let like, you know, I told my barista this morning, if, you know, like, could they make my latte extra hot? And I think like, you know, that's a hardship, you know, like it's just insane to me. And then I think we think that we can understand this stuff that took hundreds of years to distill and sort of have any working knowledge of what was going on, where they were. You know, we think we can take one two hour class and be like, I've got it, you know, or something. I'm just like, it's so human of us. And and yet I, I agree that that was something that felt really good for me about working with plants more, um, working with magic more, working with, you know, mythology and folklore was like, it's it's a it's a slower process and it's one that you have to really be willing to show up and be in for you know and you can't really have a lot of expectation it's not like the memes of like you you know you you better solve my life you little shit you know like you have to like keep at it and and that's hard it's hard like anything else um just because it it's you know also super cool and fun doesn't mean that um it can be distilled into these bite-sized pieces but i think something that you're also really good at that i'm curious about is devotion mm. how did you cultivate devotion how do you decide what you're going to be devoted to i feel like it's something i didn't realize about myself that i'm really highly capable of devotion mm-hmm. but i think i only thought about it in the context of catholicism mm-hmm. and for a long time it didn't be like oh no you can just be in devotion to your life you can be in devotion to people you can be in, you know like And it's kind of a charged word. Like people have sort of a reaction to it. I feel like who are, I I was going to say normies, but that are like less in the magical realm, you know, like whereas people who I think um, do believe in magic, do work with plants and stuff, they seem to have a real understanding of this other beautiful side of devotion, that it doesn't just have to be to religion, but like, I mean, you've also done like pilgrimages and stuff. It's like, get you a girl who does both. Like you're, you both get it in the magical sense and seem to get it in the, uh, you know, like the religious, but how did you cultivate devotion? And I feel like something I realized about devotion was like, I was deeply capable of it, but often chose poorly where I directed it (laughs) and needed to get a little bit more mindful of where I would direct that energy. How, how do you feel about devotion? How does it show up in your life? 
Mm. I feel like I'm devoted to a few different things. <laughs> and I feel like the main thing is, is this, this having enchantment be, be my compass. And I think that mm. that feeling of enchantment is something that I am devoted to in, in my life. And I don't know, I guess I feel like in regards to a devotional practice, for me, that sort of looks like having an offering practice and also having there be space to invite in and create dedicated acts of beauty and also admiration or, or like a, I guess, a profession of love of some kind to the world in this sort of act of like singing to and with the world. And I think that some of these things, I feel that I've always sort of been devoted to, even as a kid, right? Like this sense of enchantment and really seeking that in my life from a young age. But then also, I'm, <laughs> I'm also very devoted to these snakes that live on the land where I am. And like, I have this really interesting devotional practice with these snakes where I live. And that's like, and that's something that like, they claimed me like they were like, hello, you better start. <laughs> Otherwise, we're gonna like bite you and we are venomous. So like, there are certain things where I feel like you're also just claimed by, mm. by a force or by a certain power. But I think that for me, the devotion allows me like this, this act of, of being devoted to allows me to actually create infrastructures of support in my life that allow me to be in relationship with these things that I deem sacred and important. And so, mm. you know, in some ways, like people are devoted to the stock market. I'm devoted to my garden, you know, like it's just, <laughs> <laughs> there's different yeah. things that we are like worshiping at the shrine of. And for me, I like make a lot of offerings and I sing a lot of praises and, and hold a lot of space for like Venusian energy in my life. Yes. I know that that's like not everyone's, that's not for everyone, but I think that there's, there's room. I guess like the practice of devotion for me makes, I don't know, I guess it just sort of fills this like practice, very practical, like lived side of things where I'm like, I'm really, am creating these offerings, these acts of beauty and, and, and being in relationship with this thing that I feel like really nourishes me on some level. It's like a yeah. way of giving thanks, I guess. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I think I resisted that devotion cause it felt, I don't know. Like, I think it got like kind of my wires got crossed with like feminism or something. It felt a bit like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I felt a bit like in servitude or something. I don't know. Yeah. I resisted it. And then I was like, no, like it's, it, it's a choice, you know? And 
you can, like, I think what you're saying about the snakes is really interesting because I think a lot of people would have been like, how do I get the snake assassin out here? You know, and just would have been like, how do I eradicate it or whatever versus like you said, I've been, I've been chosen. Like I've been called in and I can work with this or like I can get, you know, bit like those are my choices. Like, I think it's, cool that you answered the call versus just like we're very I don't know modern human about it and we're just like no it must be extinguished you know I always tell people if they want to that I think like setting up altars and like getting into the habit of that even though it might feel weird or people get really self-conscious like it's very funny to me how like so many holidays all of this stuff is based on pagan stuff and yet you suggest to somebody just a little bit of a pagan exercise and like they can get very weird you know sometimes and I'm like but what is all of this like what is your coffee table if not like an, a version of an altar in my opinion you know like these sort of things like it can be really it can be like a really beautiful nurturing and I think creative practice to see what are you in devotion of? Like, what will you build an altar to? Like, what what do you want to tend to and and bring offerings and gifts and things like that and like be in partnership with in, in, in a way? All right. So this is a big question, but... Is someone wanted to get started working with herbalism or plants? Because I find it's like really vast and overwhelming. And I felt like I had a hard time wading in. I got super into like, I, as a little kid, I was obsessed with making potions. And when I got into herbalism, it felt like it really, you know, spoke to that it was very, it, there was a lot of inner child healing, <laughs> but I was also terrified all the time of giving myself food poisoning However, like a lot of herbalism is so simple. Mm -hmm. How do you, what, do you have some go-tos that you recommend to people of like, start here, like start with seeing like what sort of like tea blends you like, or see maybe like what are the plants that grow in your, you know, area and work with them a bit more. Like, do you have some ways that people can wade into the world of herbalism? Because I was shocked that like, plant like um I have ADD and I don't do very well on any of the medicines for it however uh rhodiola has been amazing for me it's like literally it it's like herbal um Adderall for me it's incredibly it really helps me maintain focus but it took me a little while to like get to that and mm -hmm. and I don't know that it's always as like impactful in that way but I've been really if you'll stick with it and it, you know like but I had a hard time. Like I did feel a real sense of like, is it working? Is it doing anything? Like, do you have any advice for people when, if they're starting to just introduce more plants, work with plants more in their lives? Yeah. I think I probably have many thoughts about this, but. Um. <laughs> How do you distill your entire career into some helpful <laughs> bites? <laughs> Uh, yeah. It, but I feel like you're the one who can do it. That's why I'm asking the question, though. I know it's super annoying. I know you can, like, other people, I feel like, will be like, make all your own, like, you know, tinctures and infusions. I'm like, I don't know. But, yeah. No I, mean, I feel like this question and, and maybe my, my the answer in, in my approach is really similar to, like, the, the time question that we sort of mm. started at the beginning or even just this intention or this sense of devotion that we might be after or curious about, what would it be like to 
pick one plant that, yeah, maybe it lives in the same place that you live, in the same lands where you are, or maybe it's a plant that you know grows in your ancestral lands. And if that's, you know, maybe that's the wagon to the ancestors is through this plant. But what does it look like to just open ourselves magically into being in, in relationship with this plant? And that's sort of where I actually started. I started when I was really sick. Um, when I was 18, I started working with nettles and I worked with that one plant for four months every day just because a friend of mine recommended it to me. And I started drinking infusions of nettles every single day. And I also started to go visit a patch of nettles that was not far from where I was living in Washington state at the time. But I, in some way, there was some part of my day every day where I was thinking about nettles, (laughs) drinking nettles, (laughs) hanging out with nettles, you know, whatever that might've looked like. Um, mainly it was just like tea, like having a cup of tea. Um, and there's something that happens when we invite having a devotional practice with a plant into our lives on a daily basis, something begins to change. And it's, and it's like, you know, the way that change comes into our life or transformation comes into our life is often not some huge, like, like hits you on the head kind of like big life shattering transformation. Normally things happen slowly and over time. And, and really what happens is through these like small devotional practices or like we can also call it like getting to know nettles every day, (laughs) it sort of creates this foundation for yourself to begin to notice these changes and to begin to notice how your body feels and like how your emotions shift after having a cup of nettles or just like, how do you feel after having a cup of nettles? And so I guess I would just say like that, that big transformation that maybe we even come to herbalism for like, I really want to change my life. I want to change this physical experience that I have. A lot of us come from this Western medical background, which is just like, you take a pill and then your symptoms go away. But with working with herbs, it's this really, it's very different. It's that this different calendar that we step into, this different sense of time and a different sense of like what healing looks like. And I don't, I use that word with a lot of apprehension because I'm like, I don't even know what healing really is, (laughs) but I, I know that I can shift my relationship to something and I can shift certain parts of my experience, not all of them, but Anyways, I think like working with one plant, finding one plant that you're like excited about, want to get to know better, something that you've maybe like seen on a walk and finding out what it is, learning its name, and then trying to just make a tea with it every day and see what happens just in this process. And I think that that's like, that's where the real magic is, is in this relationship building with this plant over time, you're going to learn so much about the plant. And, and if you're able to visit it, that's great visit it in the different seasons. Um, you're going to see it in its different states, even in winter when it's hibernating, you know, like all of these things to just sort of show up and create a space to build a relationship with a plant is sort of that would be my way into 
herbalism is like invite one plant in and then believe me the rest will follow like <laughs> once it's true or once one door opens then like they're all clamoring <laughs> to hang out with yeah you. yeah it's funny tea wasn't wasn't it for me but mm-hmm. i did baths mm-hmm. and salt scrubs yeah. and i suggest anyone who does this get like get get your herbal get your herbal notebook to keep your notes and record it cuz you think you'll remember and you won't if it's your like herbal grimoire, you know, versus spells. If I mean, I guess everything's a spell in a way. I think you gave me my my favorite definition of spells as well, which is that they are prayers with audacity. But I think, you know, keeping note of because you're right, it is it is subtle and it it is and it's ongoing, I agree with you about change that it, it it's rare that it is this thing that's just like surprise you're someone else now <laughs> you know like it it does see it is often a series of actions or small things that you know and then one day you're sort of like oh that's evolved or I that's shifted or I feel better or whatever and it is really helpful if you've been recording some of that experience or whatever to build up your own language. Mm-hmm. And because I think a lot of this stuff, whether it's plants or it's astrology or it's tarot or whatever, it's a really deeply personal relationship. And there's just no getting around that. You know, like you can learn the meaning of the cards, you can learn what the plant is, but you're not really going to learn what it means to you or what your relationship is with it unless you, that's what you commit to being in relationship with it. Like that's just, you know, and it was like interesting for me to learn these different baths, like what felt good, what was energizing, what was soothing, what was this, you know, what was I like? I don't know why, but we're not friends, you know, like (laughs) weird stuff where I was like, we we don't want to be friends yet, you know, and stuff like that, like was really fascinating Mm -hmm. you know and it was um it felt really good for me in that process too to like have something that like there was no other purpose than just like magic and Mm -hmm. and being in relationship with these things like I wasn't like these baths better give me a soulmate or something it was like I just want to experience what this is like to be in more deeply connected to plants, but I did have to sort of simplify. And like you said, working with one thing, I worked with Rose for a long time and it was, it was really, it was the coolest hobby I've ever had. I have to say like really being like deciding to like, you know, date different plants monogamously for a while was really cool and satisfying. And I think opened really helped me from my creativity in a big, big way as well Mm -hmm. of being much more open to allowing mystery and allowing Uh, you know, really trusting in the unseen and all these things like I, you know, modern life really wants to like take that away from you and reclaiming it, I think is a really powerful act. As we start to wrap up, is there anything we haven't touched on today you would like to offer up the people? I always want to give space for that. And where can people find you? What's coming up next? Should, where, where should everyone clamor to sign up for things? with you well my website is probably the best place it's sisterspinster.net not a dot com it's a dot net (laughs) and yeah i'm on instagram as well sister 
underscore is that what it's called an underscore then spinster I have a fleeting ever fleeting relationship with Instagram but my website is probably the best and in the spring I will have my the sap rising class will be enrolling um, which is really about spring European folk magic traditions and um, I mean yeah Anna has spoken very fondly of it thank you (laughs) It's great. I highly recommend it. It's so fun. And especially too, if you're somewhere where, you know, winter drags on, I also really highly recommend it. I felt like it did a lot for my like, you know, seasonal depression to get like pumped about spring return, you know, like, and, and it's just like, it's a, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Like, it was really fascinating just to learn more about, you know, folk magic Mm -hmm. and it, and the, I don't know. I, yeah, it's amazing. I recommend it to everybody. So yes, everyone should definitely (laughs) sign up for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, I think that's really it. I think really the only thing I'll say just about any of the classes or maybe even anything that we spoke about, like, I feel like a lot of people also will, feel like if, for those who are living in a city and they like take a class of me and they're like, Oh, but I'm not in nature. And I, it's hard yeah. for me to like be, you know, attuning to a tree in the city. And I'm, and while I understand that it it's definitely really different than living in the woods, like I do right now, it's like easy for me to go outside and be alone with a bunch of plants. But there's so much magic in the cities as well that I like hope comes through <laughs> some of the classes that I offer and like yeah. just sort of helping to like reframe that that sense of connecting to nature is so possible in the city and so necessary and so needed and we like really need the magical freaks in the city to kind of like have that as an example and to like hold that space of like yes we can hang out magically with the East river, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I would say as someone living in a city who took the class, like you offer tons of practical guidance on how to do that. You know, when you were like, find out where your water comes through. So like, it's really true. Like you're not just saying like, Oh, you can go stand, (laughs) go hug that tree that all the dogs pee on. Like you're not, I don't think you're unrealistic, but I think you do give really practical guidance of like, there is a way you can do this in a city and it is a value. It's not just because you're living in a city and there isn't a lot of nature. Like it doesn't mean it's a loss. Like I, I did feel like you gave a lot of guidance of that. And for me, it was actually really fun, you know, like figuring that out. Mm -hmm. I did feel like, you know, rather than being defeatist, it was fun to be like, well, where can I go? Or what, what, you know, where could, okay, I just need to find plant material. Like, well, where can I go find some plant material? You know, like it it was actually much more fun than just being like, I'm in a city, I can't do this way. You know, like it, 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 there, and, and it made me realize like, I've been in New York like 20 plus years. And I think that sometimes in cities too, it lets you stay kind of like, not a full adult in this weird way. Cause so much is also like taking care of for you and, and strength. It's, it's harder in some ways and easier in others. And I think that what I liked about the way you include us city dwellers in, in these things is that 
you pointed me to where I could be responsible. Mm -hmm. Like it is, you know, rather than just being like, oh, I can't do that, you know, like, or whatever, like I can know where my water comes from. That seems like something I could do to be like, yeah, yeah, that's, you know, like, sure. All right. She's got me there. You know, I can figure that out. Like, (laughs) which was actually like, I think especially like as climate change becomes more and more urgent as something we all need to pay attention to. Like, I thought that was like a, a, like a good reminder as a city person that Mm -hmm. like, there are these ways you can still be engaged and work with the land that maybe isn't the same as going and touching soil, but like, there is a way to do it. Mm -hmm. So I would um, say like, Liz isn't just like trying to recruit city people <laughs> in any way, but she's right. Like she does make it, it is accessible to all of us, no matter where you're living in this, in this world, you know? Yeah. Blessed be. Amen. Blessed be. <laughs> Blessed be. Well, thank you so much for being with me this morning. I super appreciate it. I always love to get to chat with you. It's always the best. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Anytime. hope you enjoyed getting to know Liz a little bit. I hope you will take a workshop with her or engage with her work. I am taking my latest formula she made for me and I enjoy putting the tincture in my water every morning to have some of her magic with me day in and day out. She's a wonderful person and I will see you all next week. Bye. That's all for today. If you're interested in submitting a topic, please go to anatonk.com and hit the contact button. Or you can email me at anatonk at gmail.com. If you're a fan of the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really does help.